Welcome to Every Nation Rosebank. Please note that the views, opinions, assertions and theology of the following speakers and panel members do not necessarily represent the view of Every Nation Johannesburg or its leaders or elders. These speakers were invited to create dialogue and discussion on this matter and their views are their own. Enjoy the discussion. Thank you very much and good morning everybody. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank you, Dr. Wallace. Did, did you know you were going to come and get a constitutional court and land restitution lesson this morning? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Renee. Did you know you were coming to church this morning? <laughs> Woo! That was great. Thanks, Renee. I think I'm here <laughs> because I wrote a Facebook post, which is not the best way to be introduced, I suppose. It can go badly wrong on social media. But after the parliamentary motion was passed, and I noticed a flood of, I'll be honest, mainly white men going hysterical about the ANC and the EFF coming for their land, I took a few minutes because I seem to remember, not from the history lessons I learned at school, but just from what I had learned from some of my friends, that just possibly, maybe, this wasn't the first time a South African government had passed a law that engaged with land. So a little bit of research indicated to me that there had been 14 previous specific land laws. And I simply made the point, I listed them, and I simply made the point to my white friends that if you and your ancestors didn't say anything about the previous 14, it might be time to shut up about this one. I didn't realize, and in church you can do something called a humble brag, but I don't think this is humble. Um, but I didn't realize that all three of our major political leaders would retweet and post that. I say that not as a brag, but because I do think it's possible to say things about land that everybody agrees with. I do think that what we're trying to do here today is possible. That we can find something that we can all agree on, that we can find that middle ground between us. That righteousness and justice exists in the spaces between us, and it is possible to find it. So, yeah, what I learned by putting up a post and then having EFF members share it on their WhatsApp group, with the only attribution, by the way, saying, read this and realize that an old white man wrote it. <laughs> Yo. So for the EFF, I am the old white man. <laughs> to have the, the DA pick it up and pass it through their WhatsApp groups, and then to have the president of the country quote it in full in parliament, so that it's now part of our parliamentary history. The real privilege of that was that I then got flooded with friend requests for Facebook and added to a lot of WhatsApp groups that I'm sure a lot of Malungus are not involved in. 
I even considered changing my profile picture to a slightly darker one so that I could hide in the WhatsApp DMs. Because you never know what's going to happen. But one of the great gifts of that exposure has been that I have been able to listen in on other conversations. And by other, I mean conversations I had not been part of before. Possibly partly because I didn't try hard enough. I don't speak an African language. I plan to change that. Partly because there's lots of stuff I have to do and I didn't make the time because it's not a priority for me. And partly because this is South Africa and that's how it is. But what it's, what's opened up for me because of this viral post has been wonderful, to be able to see other people's perspectives. And so if you were here at the beginning, you'll understand what I'm about to do. Quinton, can I just have that, please? A reminder. A reminder about where we started this morning. This is what I want to try and do a little bit from a middle-class, middle-aged white man's perspective to say what I've seen through what I experienced. I think that there are five things that we could hear. Maybe only one of these things is something you would be prepared to say. And then I would like to give some suggestions for a Christian response. So the first thing I think we need to hear, and please trust me, I'm starting in a bad place, it's on purpose, but I think that poor people need to hear. Please trust me. I know I'm a rich white person and I'm now speaking to poor people. I'm landsplaining. But poor people need to hear that the issue of land is actually about wealth. Those who have land want to keep the land because it is about wealth. It is about something that you can give to your children. I actually am not a landowner. Not technically. I'm about four years away from paying off my bond. So right now, the land belongs to Standard Bank. But if I die, it doesn't. So it is mine. So that's a technicality. I, I am a landowner. But my parents were not landowners. Well, not for most of the time. I, my father was a teacher. And when he thought that teacher was too grand of a career, he became a pastor. Yeah, looking for fame and fortune, eh? Yeah, I think he's got problems. We didn't own the house we lived in, a typical church environment where the church owns the manse, and when you move on or retire, the church says, we'll have that back, please. But my great-grandmother owned the property that Bedford Center is now on. And when she died in the mid-1980s, 
her estate was split between, I believe, over 50 of her descendants. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. She, in fact, was, sorry, my great, yeah, my great-grandmother. And my parents, my mother, received an inheritance that allowed her to pay off or to buy a house. And we could move out of the church manse into a house paid off. That's generational wealth. Unearned, unasked for, Possibly not unexpected, because all of the grandchildren made lots of effort to keep in the good books <laughs> of the wealthy granny. But still, what we need to be able to provide for poor people is not a random piece of land somewhere so that we can shut you up and say you've got your land now. What we don't want to give to poor people is use of land that does not provide wealth. We don't want to give people land that has no rights attached to it. So you can have the land, but you don't have the minerals in the land. You can have the land, but the water that flows through it is not yours. This stuff happens, and it exists. And just giving people a piece of land to stay on for a bit, is not a solution. And I'm speaking not to the rich people, I'm speaking to the poor people because you mustn't ask for too little. You mustn't celebrate when you actually haven't been given what you wanted. Land must be about wealth. And so some people point out, well then let's not give people land, let's give them shares in Transnet. Let's give them cash. And some people point out that a lot of the work that was done by the land restitution, when people were offered the money, they took the money, so people don't really want land, they actually want the money. None of that is good conversation. The real conversation is how do we ensure that people get wealth? Generational wealth. The American dream. It is undefined on purpose, but I think the best definition of the American dream is that if I work hard and play by the rules, my children will live a better life than I did. If I work hard and play by the rules, my children will live a better life than I did. If you do that for three or four generations, you will create a great nation. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens slowly. If you are developing wealth quickly, you are either very lucky or very corrupt. 95% of us, 95% of us will develop wealth slowly over time, over generations of time. And the land issue is about creating an anchor for that wealth. Of all the evils apartheid did, 
was to remove that anchor. They knew what they were doing when they came for our land in 1913 and 1932 and 1936 and 1946 and 1949 and 1952 and so on. So if you didn't complain about the previous 14 acts of land grab, listen now rather than speak. So, number one, the issue of wealth and land. So, but, now, let me stop landsplaining to poor people. White people need to hear the next thing that I learned. And that is that this issue of land is much more than about wealth. I think English white people need to hear my next point very clearly. That land is a cultural symbol that us English white people don't quite get. We do not bury our children's umbilical cords behind the Gorgos house. We don't care where we bury our dead. We, you know, we want to know where it is. <laughs> we, we go and visit every now and again. Typically, we pay somebody else to look after it. But it doesn't actually really matter. But that's not true for 96% of this country. When the Afrikaans farmer puts his hand into the soil and pulls out the red soil of the high felt, drenched in copper sulfates, he looks at it and he says, there is the color of the blood of my ancestors. That's not poetry. When your father's grave is on a farmer's farm and he doesn't give you access to it. This is not about wealth and title deed. This is a culture. And if you don't give me my land, you are stripping me of my culture. I'm not sure white people understand, English white people understand that enough. There are some people who don't just want land. They want that land. We must listen to their stories and find out why. You cannot just say, don't worry about that land. Here's some other land. Because it's really about wealth. Remember my first point. Because it isn't really about wealth. Black people, people of color, you unfortunately need to hear that probably we can't give you your land back. It would be wonderful if we could. We should, because the third thing is justice. Justice actually does demand that you get your land back. But, how far back do we go? This is the right question. It can be asked in horrible ways, and it can be asked by horrible people for horrible reasons. But if we create injustice 
in order to solve injustice, we haven't solved injustice. How we solve this problem is as important as that we solve the problem. We must solve the problem, but we must solve it in a way that produces justice for all. Because if we don't, we are just making the same mistake. Now, of course, some of you will say, well, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, but neither does one wrong. So this attempt to find a balance in what justice actually is, is absolutely vital. And it might be that in accepting that there must be some solutions for us. Black people need to accept it can't be the ultimate solution. We were all damaged by apartheid, and we can never put ourselves back together completely. We can get close, and we shouldn't shop, stop short of trying to get close. but maybe you can't get your land back. But fourthly, white people, you need to hear me that no matter how hard you've worked to have the land that you've got now, no matter how much effort and energy your family put in to get the land that you've got, you got it unfairly. You played in a very small pool, a pool that was artificially made small for you. Yes, I'm not denying that you worked hard. I'm not denying that you've had clever financial strategies, but you had it in a tiny little pond. Well, it wasn't a tiny little pond because it had all the land, but it was a tiny group of people who was playing on all the land. White privilege is not about wealth. White privilege is not about how much you own. White privilege is not about how hard you worked. White privilege is about access. White privilege is about a system. White privilege is what happens when you phone up the municipality and they hear your accent. This is true. My wife volunteers at a township school. Every Thursday she goes in and one of her main jobs is to make the phone calls to the Department of Education to come and fix the toilets to find out where the teacher's salaries are. Because when a white woman from the suburbs who's got a bit of attitude finds the department, somehow stuff gets done. That's white privilege. White privilege is never 
being asked where the toilets are when you are walking to the toilets through a restaurant. Because nobody ever thinks I'm the waiter. Nobody ever asks me where stuff is on the shelves at the supermarket. And nobody ever thinks that I am coming to rob them <laughs> when I walk close behind them at night. But when my 13-year-old Zulu daughter, adopted, walks behind me in the shops, and I see people looking at her, I see in their eyes that they are wondering if she's checking out my wife's handbag to steal something, because they don't know the relationship. Why is that little black kid following those white people around? That's white privilege, to be judged simply on the color of your skin. And the fourth issue we have about land is that those of us who own land, no matter how hard we worked for it, we were privileged to get it. I'll come back to that as a spiritual principle in a second. Finally, landowners. Whether the bank and you are sharing ownership now or not, landowners need to hear from me that everybody deserves a chance to own land. I'll never forget the first day I walked into the first house I signed a title deed on. I was 22. It's white privilege right there. There is nothing like that feeling this is my home. If we could share that sense of dignity, that sense of place, with 55 million South Africans, crime would be solved in an instant. We have robbed our people of dignity. So, Wealth, cultural symbols, justice, privilege, and dignity. I think these are what land is about. So how do we solve the land issue? I think there are two positions to take. The first position is that the ANC and the South African government are not coming for your land. Please just calm yourself. There is nothing that the ANC, the EFF is not in power. The EFF are not making the decisions. The ANC is very much in power, and Cyril Ramaphosa personally is very much in charge of this process. He has said nothing that should make you concerned. Nothing. In December, when he put forward the ANC's position at their elective conference, he said nothing that should make you concerned. He said that we should protect the food security of this country. He said that we should protect property rights. He said that this issue of land has been a failure of the ANC. He said that. He did not blame the Constitution. He did not blame other people. He did not blame land commissioners. He owned it. And he said now is the time to fix it. 
Then he comes to Parliament. I think there must have been a deal with the EFF somewhere. That's why they stayed off the university campuses in January. I'm sure of it. To say, I'll put your land claim in front of Parliament. And he did. Except he pulled the rug out from under them because he changed the preamble, removed Clause 7, changed Clause 12. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you should listen more rather than speak. Because Cyril did a number. He took the EFF's proposal, and by the time they voted on it, it was the ANC's proposal, and everybody voted in favor, and by the time they'd worked it out, it was done. The parliamentary motion that was passed a few months ago said this. We would like to take the opportunity to possibly begin the process of considering the potential to think about, through negotiation and discussion, opening up the beginnings of a dialogue that could possibly lead to people considering the process of maybe, possibly, but probably not changing the Constitution. All white people heard was, we will change the Constitution. You need to listen, and you need to watch what's going on. Because the ANC are not coming for your land. Unless you resist. Because why should one person have two acres when ten people have none? So be ready to sell your second acre and work out what a good price would be because someone's going to come and give you that money and take your land. Get ready for that. But you've still got your acre, and you'll have your money. Stop freaking out. White people, if it looks like you're not prepared to listen, people will shout. White people, if you look like you're not prepared to share, people will take. It's in your hands. I truly believe it's in our hands. What we do now as white people determines what happens next. So what should we do as Christians? First of all, if you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to it in isolation, you should go back and listen to Renee's sermon. What I want to do is just assert a few principles. I want to suggest, as Renee did, that these, some of these principles are going to contradict each other because that's what the Bible does. The Bible is not a constitution. The Bible is not a legal textbook. The Bible is a record of the history of people engaging with each other in the presence of God. We continue that tradition. I also freely acknowledge that these nine principles are not going to cover every eventuality. And just because it doesn't cover the odd few exceptions does not reduce the status of principle. The fact that you and your family may have a particular circumstance that doesn't fit into the general ad generality doesn't mean there's no generalities. So, first of all, land ownership is a worthy and godly goal. The whole Bible 
but especially the first seven books of the Bible, are only about the land. Read the Bible from the perspective of land. It will change your life and your view of the Bible. Secondly, those who have land should not cling to it because God commands us to look to Him for our security. Your children's future is not determined by how much land you leave for them to inherit. It is determined by their ability to engage with God and God's creation. We do not rely on our riches. We rely on our Savior. Thirdly, those who have land should be careful to acknowledge that it belongs first and foremost to God. This is His world and His land. We are merely custodians of it. And when you read about the land, if you go back to Genesis once, we've got through the opening creation stories. And the first story of history in our Bible in Genesis 12, God says, I will bless you, Abram, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless your family and increase your family. And white people stop reading there. But there's a comma there. The comma is so that every family in the world will be blessed through you. You do not secure your own children's inheritance first and then work out what you can give to anybody else. You have been given what you have been given so that every family in this world will be provided for. We are blessed to be a blessing, not just our own families. Fourthly, Jesus never owned land. For those of you who have no land, Jesus never owned land. You are not less of a person because you have no land. You are not less of a citizen of this country because you have no land. Land must not define you. The quest for land must not consume you because Jesus never owned land. Fifthly, those who have should share with those who have not. Acts chapter 2 tells us that when the disciples came together in that early church and formed what we call church today for the very first time, the founding principle of that church was that those who had more than they needed sold it and they gave it to those who had less so that there was nobody who had nothing. What a powerful statement a church could make if the people in the church did not wait for the land claims process, if the people in the church said, I have too much land and I am sharing it with people in this church who have none. Because we can do this as a church. We don't have to wait for the country. It's not the government. This is us. And when the church did that, thousands of people were added to their congregations every day. Can you imagine why? What were they coming for? Pastor, I want my land. Can I get it here? But I don't think we should take land without compensation. That would be theft, and God does not steal. Two wrongs don't make a right, but seventh, one wrong doesn't make a right. There comes a time when we should be able to compel people to do this. We don't wait for everybody to want to. 
because justice comes first. I think eight, and I'm not sure this is biblical, but I'll just throw it in anyway. I don't think the government should own the land. I think the people should own the land. And ninth, jubilee. Jubilee. You heard about it in Renee's sermon to us, her message to us. 100% the primary principle of land ownership in the, in the scriptures. Every 50 years we do a reset. Nobody falls behind. Nobody falls behind. On a generational basis, we as the church assert that nobody should be stuck in crippling poverty. So come, let us talk together. But in our talking, let us proclaim jubilee. We are the church. Amen.